Welcome, welcome back, I should say, to the Becker and Broom podcast after a long hiatus. Kevin and I are back to talk about the Wizards in greater depth than you might hear elsewhere and a little more analytical depth than you might hear elsewhere. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm okay. (laughs) Well, uh, I can hear you're brimming with excitement as usual for the start of the NBA season. Try to contain yourself. So what we're going to do today is we are going to do a quick run-through of the Wizards offseason, and quick for us, so not actually quick. But uh, seeing as the season is right around the corner, we want to talk about moves the Wizards have made, how they've changed, mostly how they haven't, and well, what can we can expect from the Wizards' upcoming season. So when, uh, when you last left us, Wizards fans, several... Uh, it seems like many moons ago, the Wizards had just made their their move for Tim Frazier, which Kevin, I think we both agreed was a, a, a nice upgrade over what they could expect to get with the whatever it was the fifty something pick in the draft, mm-hmm. and uh, and the Wizards may have a, a passable backup point guard this year. Yeah, Frazier's not not a bad player. He's fine. He'll, he'll be a fine backup, I think, and like you said, a lot better than what they would have gotten likely at uh, the 56th or 55th or whatever pick that was. So, yeah, I have no problem. He'll be, I mean, it's a really low bar to be better than Trey Burke. I mean, just to give you a sense of where Trey Burke is professionally, the Knicks signed him. Yeah, and uh, we don't even know if he's going to make the team. But I believe... I, I saw, real quick, I saw one article suggesting that Burke would actually be their answer as a starter, which really made me laugh. But. I, I think that... There's actually something to that, given that the Knicks are not trying to win games this year. Uh, they're going for ping pong balls, so yeah. I don't think you can. I don't. I don't think there's a much better solution. He seems like the perfect starting point guard. Play him 36 minutes for your eight-win team. There you go. A, a couple quick notes on Frazier. First, he's only signed through this year, so while he will be undoubtedly be an upgrade over what they've had, I think there's a high probability he won't be a wizard next year because he's either going to not do the job and they'll move on to someone else for uh, as they seemingly do every year. I don't think the Wizards have started uh, consecutive seasons with the same backup point guard since Antonio Daniels. So it's just, this is just an organizational philosophy that this is that, that the backup point guard is just something fungible and, and not, worth investing in the long term well i i mean yes i i mean that, that's true but one of the reasons for that i think though is that they've been really bad at evaluating players and i go back to like the eric Maynard thing they gave Maynard a two-year deal which didn't really make a lot of sense they they planned for Maynard to be there for at least two seasons and he turned out to be you know awful so they they had to make another move there so. yeah well, and and the thing that the the flip side is with Frazier, if he's unexpectedly good, mm-hmm. uh, he's going to go get a job somewhere else with someone who can pay him more. The yep. Wizards' financial situation is such that they're just not going to be able to, um, you know, they won't be able to pay five or six million bucks to keep Tim Frazier if he's worth that next season. And uh, so we uh, we're hoping for good things from Tim Frazier, and and that we'll be able to look back very fondly on the Tim Frazier area that that one great year he had in Washington before he moved on to start somewhere else so after Frazier the Wizards went out and they made what I think is a pretty interesting move they signed Jody Meeks Mm -hmm. to 
interesting is a relative term, obviously. They signed Jody Meeks to a to a, a two year deal, second year being a player option, uh, which uh, the the player option is a little bit of an anomaly in today's markets, particularly for players of Meeks's age and talent level, but a little bit of a hallmark of Ernie Grunfeld. So talk first, if you would, about Jody Meeks, the player, and what we can expect uh, from a production standpoint from Jody Meeks. Meeks is a bit like Bogdanovich in the sense that he's a good shooter and he doesn't do very much else. He gets hurt a lot too. But he's been a very good shooter and I think he could contribute you know, off the bench. Um, his defense is not as bad as Bogdanovich's, which Again, that's like a really low bar because Bogdanovich was one of the least effective defensive players in the league. But uh, Meeks, if he can stay healthy, I think he can he can help the team. You know, maybe they get a Martell Webster kind of season out of him or something like that, where he's you know sort of has a career year or something close to it. Um, but I, it's not a bad move at all. I mean, he's a like I said, good shooter and he has some game. So yeah, why not? Well, and and you brought up Martel Webster, and I think a lot of Wizards fans, media people, that that's a name that that they thought of because Webster is someone who, you know, had struggled mightily with injuries, and uh, the Wizards brought in on the cheap, and he actually ended up uh, when he was on the court, um, which was I think most of his first year here. He he did quite well, and then mm-hmm. sort of the injury bug caught back up with him, and and it was uh, he couldn't stay on the court, and it was eventually time to part ways. I, I'm I'm I don't know tons of details about Meeks's in, injury history, but I think some of what he dealt with last year was a little bit uh, freakish, like he, you know he had a broken thumb that he caught on someone's jersey or something like mm-hmm. that. Not the kind of thing that uh, that that would show sort of uh, chronic systemic issues, so perhaps there's reason to hope there. The other thing about Meeks that jumps to mind is, you know, you're talking about a, a low bar in terms of uh, Tim Frazier being an upgrade over Trey Burke. Mm-hmm. The Wizards went into last season with Marcus Thornton as their backup point, as their backup shooting guard. Yeah. Hard to imagine that a reasonably healthy Jody Meeks is not more productive just because he's he, he's not going to do the things that Thornton did to to hurt the team. He's not going to uh, dribble down the floor and take 20-footers in the first five seconds of the shot clock and um, that kind of nonsense. Right. You know, Brooks has also talked about, because of Beal's playmaking ability, um, that he might stagger Wall and Beal a little more. So I think you could see Meeks on the floor with Wall some. Actually, depending uh, on how rotations uh, shake out a little bit, I think you might even see uh, Wall and Beal on the floor with Meeks, with with Beal sliding to defend some threes. So he will be in positions where he will have the opportunity to uh, to, to shoot open uh, open threes, and if he can make defenses pay and not be too much of a net negative on the uh, on the other end, then he could be a nice little fit. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
we'll see with the you know the lineups. I think that we'll probably see some interesting small lineups during the period when Morris is out, and it'll be interesting to see how effective those can be. I, I suspect they'll be pretty good. I you know I imagine that with like a Wall, Beal, Meeks, that Porter would be out there and probably Gortat or Mahinmi. And that could be pretty interesting. Uh, you know, we'll see how, how it can go. But small lineups like that with a lot of spacing, a lot of uh, movement, a lot of, um, you know, shooting, that those lineups around the league have been fairly effective. Although, you know, you get to the thing where once everybody is playing those kinds of lineups, you know, how, how effective are they going to be? That'll be interesting to see. But it's, at least the Wizards have that as an option now, um, assuming that Meeks can... Uh, stay healthy enough to, to, to be out there. Yeah, I, I think that's right. But it's an interesting point how sort of, you know, and modern NBA small ball, which at one point it was sort of originated as Nelly ball, you know, as, as Don Nelson's going five out, how it really punished teams who, who, who played with, with a, you know, traditional eighties, nineties power forward and a, mm-hmm. and a low post center. And because so few teams are are doing that now, uh, you do have to wonder at what at what point do you start to get diminishing returns? I assume that this year we're going to see a record number of threes attempted and uh, scoring continue to be up. It'll, and and meanwhile, um, the Spurs are going to continue to <laughs> to roll two bigs out for for much of the game and uh, and win fifty five games. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll just have to see. So. Meeks the contract, a little interesting. So, so he's got, he's got this player option, um, I, I, and and it's a his annual number. I think is reasonable. I think it's mm-hmm. it's in the three million dollar range. You know, he's a guy where if if he does work out as expect as as you hope, and he's just a a really nice fit for the price they're paying him. You like the idea of uh, of having him for that second year. Mm-hmm. My my concern is is if he lights it up and says, you know what, I might be able to get a big chunk of the mid level somewhere. I'm going to opt out of this player option and be gone. Mm-hmm. Or if he has another big injury issue and uh, and he goes into next off season injured and he says, you know what, I, I don't I don't know if I can get a job. I'm gonna right. I'm gonna opt it, opt into this second year. Um, See, this, so is, it, this is great. I mean, it's, you've got like these two pessimistic things. One of them based on one of them based on Meeks playing really, really well. Well, if he plays great, then you know that's a good problem to have. You just you sort of accept that, and then if he gets hurt, you know his number's not so big. I, I think that the number is small enough that <clears throat> whatever bad happens is is not the end of the world. It's not that bad. It's not going to hurt the Wizards that bad. It's the kind of thing where. You know they could probably package like you know a sec, some of Ernie's second round picks and just trade him off for, to somebody with them some cap room to uh, you know get him get out from under the the luxury some of the luxury tax. So I I don't think if he plays great and he opts out, I mean that's a good problem to have. But I think you can find guys like Meeks for not a lot of money. So I don't think it's that big a deal. Plus, to be honest, I mean he's thirty. He's probably got if he stays healthy another couple of years. I mean, his ability to shoot is is really good, and that tends to endure. But you know, guys like him haven't really seemed to have super super duper long careers. Well, I look that's that's fair. That that if if he has a great year, 
that leads to him looking elsewhere, that's a that's a good problem to have because if Jody Meeks has such a good year that he says, you know what, someone wants to pay me a lot of money, the, the Wizards will have had a really good season because yeah. Jody Meeks is not going to have a great year in a vacuum. If Jody right. Meeks has a has a great year and there's a market for him, the Wizards are going to have done something pretty substantial. Yeah. So. Um, and then, you'll, you, by the way, you'll like his top comp. You know, I run, as part of my projection system, I run, uh, you know, trying to predict the season is I do similars. Like, what player is most similar production at similar age? And Meek's top comp was Kyle Korver. Oh, wow. Yeah, but this is, remember, Kyle Korver is an interesting player because he basically was below average until, I guess, suddenly somebody figured out, oh, yeah, that guy shoots threes and he's, he's really good at it. And then in, in in his 30s, Corver became, you know, really good, like borderline all-star production, basically based on his ability to shoot the three. And um, he did that for for a few years before he started to decline because of age. But, you know, if it would be great if Meeks could do something like that. I don't think so. I mean, most of his comps are more like, you know, Marco Bellinelli and Morris Peterson and Tony Douglas, you know, guys who – Gerald Henderson, guys who really didn't um, – have super productive long careers and didn't do what Corver did, which was really abnormal for uh, NBA history. You know, most guys get better for their first three or four years, and then they sort of plateau, and then they start tailing off at at around thirty. Corver got better after thirty. You know what's so interesting about that? It, it, we talk about this a lot. Is that all these guys in the NBA are just supremely talented? You know they are unbelievably skilled, sort of to 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 a world class level. Mm-hmm. And one of the separating factors is the players who understand the things that they do well and those that they don't. And to the best of their ability, in the context of a basketball game, focus on what they do well. So, you know, why did Cor- when in the guys that you listed, why why was Corver so effective? Because he focused on shooting on shooting and on shooting threes. How many times have you seen you know Kyle Korver try to break someone down off the dribble or yeah. or, or 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 shoot a, a one dribble pull up at the elbow? You know you think about him versus a guy like Gerald Henderson or Tony Douglas, who were also you know never as good shooters as Korver is. So if if I think again, there's reason to be hopeful with Meeks that he. He knows what he's here to do, mm-hmm. uh, particularly particularly given the fact that he's replacing Bogdanovich, backing up Beal. The Wizards and Brooks has talked about the team needs to shoot more threes. You know, hopefully he uh, he lets fly, and uh, and and we get the best version of Jody Meeks. Yeah, yeah, that's what I hope. <laughs> so last year the NBA did not see the best version of Mike Scott, who. The uh, Wizards signed for uh, for front court depth, sort of a stretch big. Um, Scott had injury issues. He had legal issues, which are both uh, seemingly behind him. What tell tell uh, tell Wizards fans about Mike Scott and and what he has been in the NBA and what he might be for the Wizards? Yeah, well, I mean, he's been kind of a you know like a solid rotation power forward I guess a little bit more on the stretch side of things than you know the Wizards have had in the past I guess if he's going to fall into a mode it's more like um, 
you know, like Al Harrington type of uh, type of role. If you went back to probably like the you know 80s or 90s, he probably would have been classified as a small forward because you know he's not really like ideal size for a power forward. But in today's NBA, he's a stretch four, and you know he's he's pretty useful with that. He he shoots a decent percentage from three. Um, you know his best year was 39 percent from three, which is quite good. You know before that. Not so great. Last year was a wash. He was, you know, when he did play, he was really bad. And, but he had like legal troubles and injury troubles and all kinds of stuff. I, when I ran his comp, I just ignored last season um, because it was just such an anomaly for him. Um, and he played so few minutes. You know, he only played, what, a couple hundred minutes total, only 18 games. So I, I just sort of threw that out and looked at what he did. But he's been. You know, PPA, I, we talk about that player production average. My metric average is 100. And, you know, you look at his career, he's been a solid, like, you know, 80 to 90 uh, PPA player, which is pretty good for a guy coming off the bench. You know, that's a productive rotation player. And if they can get something close to that from him this year, he'll be quite valuable. And I think that he could um, – that's better than Jason Smith did. You know, Smith was in the 60s last year. And it's actually pretty close to the level of um, Markeith Morris. So it's conceivable that the Wizards have on the cheap for a season a guy who can sort of at least mimic the overall production that Markeith Morris provides. You know, because Morris, you recall, is a sort of a light rebounding, fairly inefficient, high usage, (laughs) relatively speaking, uh, power forward. Um, You know, Scott... Is a, isn't super low usage, his, but, uh, you know, he's he's pretty efficient. And like I said, a good, pretty good shooter from three. So I think that we'll, Wizards fans will like him. There's a total theme here, which is potential upgrade, certainly over what they had last year. I, I'm, I wonder how much he plays over Jason Smith. Just, I think Brooks likes Jason Smith. And also, if Jason Smith keeps shooting, you know, 90% from three-point range, then, then maybe you... You deal with the other, the the other pieces of Jason Smith, and and if he's out on the court too much, he'll foul out anyway. So yeah, you know, in my projection, I use Kevin Pelton's shout out to Kevin Pelton from ESPN. Also, I used to work with Kevin Pelton back when Hoops World was bskball.com, Believe it or not, and Kevin, I think we first, I do believe that <laughs> I first encountered Kevin Pelton when he was, I believe, a sophomore in high school. And uh, he's done great things. But anyway, he does. He publishes uh, minutes projections, and I just use his, basically. And he's got Mike Scott playing about half as many minutes as Jason Smith. I think that's probably correct, although I hope that it reverses itself because I think Scott is going to be a more productive player. Uh, and, and another thing with Scott, as we mentioned with Frazier and, and to an extent with Meeks, is that he's here on a one-year deal. Yeah. So... He could be here next year. He could be gone. It could be because he's had a great year, and it could be because he's flamed out. It is interesting that when folks talk about reasons to be optimistic about the Wizards, one of the words you hear a lot is continuity, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of continuity in the rotation, particularly in the starting lineup. Starting lineups, a healthy starting lineup's the same. well, not only is there very little continuity in at the back end of the rotation on the bench, but because of the contracts, there's you're, you're probably going to have the same issue next year. 
I, I don't I don't know if that's important at all. I, I don't know if uh, if there's any. I'd certainly have a rather have more talent as opposed to more continuity to a to a certain degree. Uh, I don't know if there's any historical studies on the value of continuity. If there's reason to believe that that the Wizards have have a significant advantage over comparably or more talented teams in the East because uh, they they've been together. Um, but yeah. but but we'll know pretty soon. Yeah, the continuity is an interesting thing. I know that Dean Oliver has done some studies. He talked about it in uh, Basketball on Paper. And there have been a few other people who have attempted to do some studies. Kevin Pelton, I know, estimates the Wizards as being having the fifth, you know, the fifth highest continuity score, meaning, you know, percentage of minutes that are rotation minutes are going to stay with the same people. But I do think that it tends to get thought about in the wrong way, uh, you know, this whole idea of continuity. It's like, what does this mean? If you have a like a really crappy team, right, and and you bring everybody back, the, the team is probably going to stink again, right? That I think that really when people look and say, well, look at these, these championship teams, look at these championship contenders, and they have continuity, well, there's a reason for that. And that is when you have a good team, you want to keep it together. And so you get continuity because you have a good team. You know, the good has to come before you start keeping trying to keep everybody together. Because if you have a bad team and you keep everybody together, you stay bad. That's, that's the way that it works. Well, and that's what's so fascinating about this year is that the Celtics were the number one seed in the Eastern playoffs last year, and they are returning one starter and turned over, you know, three quarters of their roster. And the Cavs uh, are are obviously the other side of that coin, um, having made uh, huge personnel moves and uh, with the Isaiah Thomas trade and Kyrie being gone in that trade and bringing on Dwayne Wade and moving him to the starting lineup and Derrick Rose and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's, and so neither of those teams ha- have the continuity that the wizards do, but they ha- probably, I mean, Cleveland certainly and Boston probably have more talent. Uh, so it'll be or, uh, at least more talent top to bottom. So, It'll be interesting to see if if that continuity matters, and if so, for how long. Because at yeah. some point, um, like any new team who starts to who who gets to know each other at the beginning of the year, you know, whether it's the All Star break or Thanksgiving or whatever, they're gonna they'll, they'll be on the same page, and so yeah. whatever advantage was there will, will will dissipate. Yeah. Plus, Cleveland's continuity looks great to me because they did bring back LeBron. Yeah, I think that guy's good. Yeah, I've heard. That's our hard-hitting, thoughtful, deep analysis on Becker and Brew. LeBron is good. So two other free agency notes to talk about, and and uh, those are not players that the Wizards uh, brought in uh, newly, but but players they retain. So the first one to talk about is is Otto, who obviously we were uh, very much on record, uh, and we wrote a piece saying that you know, he deserved a, a max deal, and the Wizards should bring him back, um, and they did, and I think we're both happy to see that. Um, the The very interesting note about that is sort of the way that all went down, particularly just the Wizards had the ability uh, under the CBA to, to lock Porter up for five years, mm-hmm. and instead they signed him to a four-year contract that's got an out after three, 
which is the, the you know this Gordon Hayward contract that um, that enabled Hayward to leave Utah this summer. What's your take on that? Well, I think that this is one of these things where the Wizards got cuter than they needed to to. I guess to save a few bucks or whatever, you know. I saw Ted Leonsis talking about how they basically told Otto go out and get offers, and if you can get a max offer, we'll match it. And I just didn't think any of that was necessary. They, they everybody knew the market was clear that Otto was going to be a max player, and so with a guy like Otto, who's a really good guy, he works hard. He's just a, he's a good player. Does a lot of things well. And he does a few things exceptionally. Just bring him back. You know, you don't have to get cute. And so what they ended up doing was getting some things into the deal that they really wouldn't like very much, like the trade kicker, like having to pay, I think it was half of his money up for, you know, half of his annual salary and a lump sum payment at the beginning of the year. Like, uh, I think I said the trade kicker, right? Uh, You know, the no trade clause, which actually doesn't really matter that much. That's a little more symbolic. But the bigger issue is that it's only a four-year deal and it has a possibility of being only three. So if Otto continues to to grow and he continues to develop, I mean, he's improved every year, but even at the rate that he's been playing, he's been he's a really good player. And um, if he continues to do that, he has the opportunity to be a free agent in just three seasons again. And so the Wizards are going to have to go through, potentially go through this again with him. And uh, that's, it seems like it's one of those things where they've set themselves up to potentially lose a guy that they really value because the next time around they won't be able to match deals. So, so I don't really like it in that sense. At least they did match it. At least they did bring him back. But, you know, I, I do wish that they had just, not been so cute on this one you know it reminds me it's a it's a less potentially damaging version of what they did with Juwan Howard where they did that ridiculous and I realize management is completely different now but where they did that ridiculous rookie deal that let Howard opt out after two years and inexplicably he was an all-star that season <laughs> and so he ended up breaking the bank and he was actually never that good but you know boy you just just ruined my day thank you very much for that (laughs) i that's Um, what i live for as you know yeah yeah that was that was great well so overall with Otto, i mean my my feeling is all's well that ends well and this ended reasonably well i i I tend to agree with you sort of like if if at your job your you know your bosses say hey we really value what you do we really we, we really like you and and this is the maximum that that the marketplace will allow us to pay you and we're happy to pay you that as long as someone else says that they're happy to pay you that right but but if they're not then then we're gonna pay you less and it's sort of like to what end especially given the fact that it was pretty obvious that there were other teams that 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 were gonna take a run at him yeah you know it was pretty widely reported for for much of the year so when he when he was meeting with Sacramento, when when he ultimately signed the offer sheet with Brooklyn, none of this was out of nowhere. None of uh, there there was no shock to any of this. So I I just sort of rolled my eyes at, at the whole thing. And yes, based on what we think today, what the market will look like in three years, I think there's a reasonable chance, especially now that that. Wall will be back. I think there's a very reasonable chance that 
that Porter is going to opt in for that um, mm-hmm. fourth year. But at the same time, what if if this last offseason has taught us anything with respect to the cap not going up as much as people projected, and that is, is there's a lot of uncertainty. We don't know what the what the marketplace is going to look like or three or four three or four years. So while we think today it's it's a good bet that he's going to that, that he's going to opt in who knows what's going to happen and and the the value of a player contract value of of, of any contract is is tied to its length and if you have a, a player as good as Otto and i get that if you know he's a polarizing figure in that uh people who don't understand as well what contributes to wins and losses on the court and and who value highlights and sports center and stuff like that are not going to view uh otto as a star player and that's fine and we both made peace with that and they're mm-hmm. free to be stupid and wrong but <laughs> um but um you know when you have an opportunity to, to lock a young guy who's still improving like that up for more years as opposed to fewer um you, you get him for more but uh that's that's a problem for another day yeah now um, what you said though i think is, this is definitely an all is well that ends well in the sense that at least they're bringing him back. At least they've got him for the next three years, um, possibly a fourth. But at least they've got him for for that. And so it's good that they brought him back. I'm not complaining about that at all. I just I just wish they had handled the negotiation a little bit different, a little bit better. I think that they could have done a better job there. That's all. Yeah. So the John Wall extension was was huge news, um, and it is huge news. And and part of it is. Um, you know, so, so Wall signed this four year super max extension that's going to keep him in Washington for the next five to six years. Mm-hmm. And so, so first of all, it just, it feels good as a fan. It, it feels good that Wall does not have eyes for other cities and situations and says, you know what? I, I want to win here. I want my Jersey to hang from from uh, whatever we call the arena at that time, um, from from the rafters, and knowing how difficult it is to to acquire all star talents, uh, as as Mike Prada says, you can't just go to the supermarket and 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 pick up John Wall caliber players. Mm-hmm. It feels it feels great that that he chose to stay, and by the same token. The numbers in the out years of this deal scare the bejesus out of me. Um, can, they should. <laughs> um, and that's something that no one has talked about, and they just say, hey, you know, that's a problem for another day. John Wall's staying. We've got continuity. Um, so talk to me about John Wall and about what this deal looks like and and and, and how you see it. So, okay. Wall has been, you know, with the new CBA, he signed a max deal, but with the new, um, not CBA, but with the new, you know, TV deal money coming in, he was around 18, and he will be this season, around 18, like 19% of the salary cap. Once this, Which, by the way, I have to interrupt you. That's the important number. The the dollars to a, to a certain, for, for no, the most I agree. part. You know, people talk about, oh, this guy's getting, you know, this guy's not worth $20 million. This guy's not, I mean, sure, uh, you know, no one's worth it. Everyone's worth it. But but the the, ex, 
extent to which it matters is what percentage of your available resources do you are you allocating to this player so right so it so go on with that thought of, of what percentage of the cap walls taking versus and and how that's going to change just remember that for every dollar a player gets the owners are getting you know a dollar ten roughly so there's plenty of money in this system. If you want to talk about people not being worth what they're getting, you can look to like ownership and you can look to front office and you can, I mean, there's a lot of places to look. So anyway, back to wall for a second or back to wall for longer. So he's around 18, 19% of the cap, which is pretty good. The wizards are getting good value there because, you know, I estimate him producing about 21% of the wizards wins which is a pretty hefty chunk, you know. It's not like super high in you know for the number 1 players. It's in the you know the bottom half of the number 1 players teams around the league, but it's still a, a hefty chunk and the Wizards are still getting good value. He's going to 35% of the cap. And you know nobody is really producing 35% of their team wins except, you know, maybe like LeBron <laughs> who whose influence goes beyond I think what his production actually is. But that's kind of beside the point. Maybe that's true somewhat of Wall too. But, you know, Wall last season was his best. I had him with a PPA of 165, which, you know, was, I thought he warranted all NBA, you know, that third team, um, which put him top six guards in the league. And that's terrific. But he's not in that like super elite MVP category which is like 225 and above. And I think to be quote unquote worth that money that he's going to be getting that 35% of the cap, he'll need to be, you know, PPA over 200. I think, and I don't think that's very likely to be honest. Uh, You know, he's going to be what, 27 this season and players who are like him have, you know, again, I do the, that historical comps players like him through history didn't tend to age super well. They didn't tend to perform great after 30. You know, um, this year for the first time in his career, Isaiah Thomas was not among his top 10. Um, you know, top 10. Pistons comps. Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, Pistons Isaiah Thomas, not 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 uh, who the second best Isaiah Thomas was not among Wall's um, comps. But <laughs> um, Thomas is a guy who peaked you know pretty early and then was tailed off. And by the time you know Thomas was basically done as a productive player by the time he was 30. Yeah. Well, I, that actually gives me a, a reason for hope, just because I, I feel like if Thomas, if Thomas was around in today's NBA, first of all, we'd be very confused because there'd be two Isaiah Thomases. But, yeah. but, um, but if he was around, I, I think part of the reason his career got cut short was because medical science was nowhere near yeah. today, uh, nowhere near then what it is today. He retired at what thirty one or thirty two. Yeah. Um, and so, but. But but anyhow, that's I, I guess that's kind of an aside. But but what I hear you saying sort of is Wall's really good, mm-hmm. but in order for him to be worth what he's going to uh, what he's going to make, he needs to get a lot better. Mm-hmm. And historically, the odds of players Wall's age and experience level getting a lot better are are not great that's correct that is correct now i will say that i do think that wall has some areas where to me kind of low-hanging fruit for him to improve and and possibly get up into that 
like at least into the like the 180s 190s but again players his age you know coming into 27 typically don't get a lot better you know he's likely to continue being as good as he was or something close to it for several more years but better is a different different matter but i think that like how how could he do it one cut down the dumb turnovers you know he's got probably you know half a turnover per game that you know a turnover every other game where he it's just one of these not paying attention and just throwing the ball away that kind of thing or going too fast and dribbling it off his foot you know that kind of thing that it doesn't happen a ton but that's like a, a a thing that he could if he could cut those out or cut them in half that would help the team a little bit you know and then you you get things like his shot selection he's shooting better um, in many ways, but his shot selection, he still takes too many, uh, for my taste anyway, too many long twos. I don't think he needs to take those. I think those are, a lot of those shots are, are choices, not necessities, meaning the shot clock's not running down, meaning, you know, that, that, that that's basically the time to take those kinds of shots that he could do some other things to work and get his teammates better shots or get himself a better shot. And he he pulls up and he takes those those mid range shots and even though he's become better at shooting them they're still low percentage shots or they're low value shots period they're the shot you want somebody like Wall taking if you're the defense if you're the defense yes <laughs> well so I I agree with all of that and and look that I don't it's probably not a complete coincidence that he made a lot of this progress last year under Brooks who sort of embraced modern. Uh, modern NBA offense. And so I think there's reason to believe that he'll take fewer long two-point jumpers early in the shot clock. Oh, and 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 maybe he won't. And and but I I think that this this decision of whether to offer him this contract um it, it's it was a yes or no decision. You 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 couldn't you couldn't sort of offer him a half of a of a right. supermax deal. You had to either do it or, or you didn't. Right, and so the the knowing all of these probabilities that the odds are that he wasn't going to be quote unquote worth or wasn't going to perform to the level of a thirty five percent of the cap player in the out years of this contract, you're balancing a, that against against not having him at all, um, and so it's a it's a tough situation that's created by the collective bargaining agreement rules. But in this case, I think it's very possible that the Wizards went into this with their eyes wide open and just said, look, in the out years of this, he he may not be worth it and it may cause us to be mediocre or not as good as we could be. And that's that's just a risk and a price that we're willing to take and pay uh, because the alternative is uh, he leaves and and we're bad and and so I I sympathize with that. Daryl Morey might say, "Oh, you just let him go." And yeah. now Morey probably would have traded him or would trade right. him and get somebody else in there. You know, that's I kind of think what Morey would do, and I think there's probably some you know there's a level of correct in that, but. That said, Wall is the the face of the Wizards. He's their chief marketing engine, and they really couldn't let him get away on that basis. So, 
you know. Yeah. And there's it. there's I'm I'm not unhappy with the deal. I I go I mean if I'm wide eyes wide open in this as well, and that is I'm I'm glad he's gonna be around and I'm glad he's very likely to end up retiring as a wizard and, you know, have his jersey hanging in the rafters and, you know, going down as at least the best point guard in franchise history. You know, no question about that, if not potentially the the best player overall in franchise history, you know. So that's fine. And and I, I like Wall and I'm glad he's going to be there. It's just, again, I mean, if you were going to be really analytical about it, he's he's not produced at a level that that's commensurate with that salary but there are other factors that go into driving player salaries beyond solely what they do on the floor all right well i think that's uh that's fair so with all of that said you know we we talked about the, the three guys before we've talked about uh auto and wall um and and how they stand to be upgrades or potential upgrades over uh, over guys um, who were here at the beginning of last year. You also have uh, Jan Mahinmi, who is seemingly healthy. Uh, we talked about him a lot last year and how there's reason to be very skeptical of how good he would truly be. But I think we can both agree that uh, healthy Jan Mahinmi is is better than injured Jan Mahinmi. And 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 he he can help them on the floor to a degree, and you've got Kelly Oubre who is a year older and hopefully uh, has uh, has cleaned up some areas of the game where he's hurting the team, so that the things that that he uh, does to help um, can, um, can can have an impact. So big picture, long-winded way of asking you. How much is this bench improved versus the one that started last year? You know, call it Meeks Frazier, this year's Oubre, Mike Scott and Mahinmi against Burke right. Thornton, last year's Oubre, uh, etc. Um, h- how much how much improvement do you think we 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 see there? It's going to be better. I mean, remember last year's bench was the worst in the league. Um, maybe they at the end got up to like 29th or something, but they were the worst bench in the league. This year, it's going to be better. I mean, Trey Burke is not an NBA player. and Can this year's bench be average? No. No. Wow. They won't... Was, you just dunked on my question. <laughs> yeah. Holy. I think they'll be better than they were last year, but my guess is they'll be more like, you know, 20th to 25th rather than like 29th or 30th. I don't see them being like the 15th best bench in the league. You know, no, I don't see that at all. Now, there's some wild cards in there. I mean, like Mahinmi, if Mahinmi performs like he did, you know, in his contract year, which I don't think he will, but if he did, obviously that would upgrade. And, you know, maybe Ubre makes bigger jump than a bigger jump than I'm anticipating. I don't, I mean, we'll see, but I hope so. But that would be another sort of wild card in there. Um, maybe Meeks and Scott are a lot better than what I think they're going to be. But, I mean, they're, here's the thing. They're better than Trey Burke and Marcus Thornton, right? They're likely to be better than Jason Smith was last season. So are they going to be average? No. I don't, I don't see that at all, though. That I, don't think, I don't think that's likely. Let's put it that way. 
depth matters. The, the points that are scored in the middle of the second quarter matter just as much as the ones that are scored at the beginning of the game or the end of the game. And and so if if you're if you have a great starting lineup but you're giving up points with the bench consistently, that's 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 who your team is. And and that's why the summer of sixteen and and we harp on this, but the reason we harp on it is because it continues. To matter and continues to be felt, but but you know that's why the, sort of this paint by numbers summer that the Wizards had is is going to affect them this year and next year because uh, when when you can't add depth and 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 youth because you've tra- you have to trade away your picks and players who command more on the open market um, and, and you can't even have an average bench, let alone an above average bench um and and you can't insulate yourself against the inevitable injuries that come with the grind of the end of the nba season um you're just gonna limit your upside yeah um just to put some numbers by the way with what i was talking about the the bench being a little bit better this year last year's bench according to ppa accounted for about produced about seven wins for the wizards you know total um, seven of their wins this year. I'm projecting they're going to be worth about ten and a half, ten and a half to eleven. So okay, it's a significantly better bench, but it still is going to be a below average bench. Uh, or, or do you have in front of you how that how that uh, rates against uh, against a typical bench or an average bench? I don't know. Well, you're useless to me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so there's actually I, I want to jump back for free agency. For for one second, I know we're jumping all over the place, but who cares? Um, <laughs> the, there's one other other thing that that bugged me a little bit that wasn't talked about much, and that was uh, the timing of of the early signings of the Meeks and Scott signings. And yeah. I think that you know, you and I both agree that that they were fine in a vacuum, particularly given the prices. But but something that we saw in free agency that was not at all unpredictable was after the first few dominoes fell and and it was a crazy you know NBA summer and a crazy free agency period. But after the first few dominoes fell, there were a lot more uh, butts than seats, so to speak. It, it turned into very much of a buyer's market and. By moving quickly on Meeks and Scott, the the Wizards removed themselves from any chance to be opportunistic. That triggered some Eric Maynard PTSD for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, signing him, rushing to sign him on the first day of free agency. Again, it just sort of, you know, it's kind of like a sad side. Like, the, what's going on from a strategy standpoint, where where they feel like they need to rush to sign um, to sign guys like Meeks and Scott. Yeah, I. this is one of the things, I, we've discussed this before, I don't really get about how their front office works. And that is, a guy like Meeks and Scott, those kinds of guys are going to be around. They're, they'll be around. And there's just no reason to rush into signing them. I mean, talk to them. Uh, you know, reach an agreement on terms, that kind of stuff. But in, unless they're operating with a whole different set of knowledge than is available to us, 
Meaning that they know that Scott and Meeks are getting three and four offers that are similar to what the way they can offer. Although I don't think so, because if they were getting those kinds of offers, what happens is that the team with the most money ends up getting them, you know, not the team that gets there first. And so it seems like they're the Wizards are rushing in to snap, snap guys up that they've decided these are our guys. These are the guys we're going to target. You know, Eric Maynard, first day of free agency, for example. I just can't imagine there was a bidding war for Eric Maynard. I can't imagine there was a bidding war for, you know, Jody Meeks or, or Mike Scott. So I don't really understand that. And then, so, and then, you know, like you talk about, like last year's free agency and how that handcuffs them. You think about this, Nerlens Noel is playing on a qualifying offer this year. And it, it would have been great to have the resources to go after and get somebody like him, a young big who's, you know, quality defensive player and has a lot of potential. It's quite productive when he played with Dallas. I was a little surprised Dallas didn't lock him up, but they're trying to be, uh, you know, trying to get bargains too. So it'll be interesting to see. But I back to the Wizards for a second. I just don't understand this, like, rushing out to snatch guys up, um, especially guys who are minimum salary or, you know, biannual exception level players. There's just no reason to rush. Well, you hit on a couple things that, that I want to comment on. You know, the first is, so it, the opportunity cost piece of it, like what did the Wizards cost themselves by by rushing to sign these guys now now granted you know this is a lone example and i'm not saying that that this is uh, th- this is the only example but um a- as the market started to shake out you had a good player like patrick patterson who was a fit with the wizards so, you know the, the wizards uh, weakest starting position was uh, was power forward despite having a lot of front court bodies they don't have a lot of good front court players and and so patrick patterson was a guy who by the way played with wall at kentucky he was a washington dc native there was a a there was a sale there was uh to be made to patrick patterson like hey you can come here you can be a a big part of uh, of a really good team that's on the rise um i I would have liked to have been in that sales pitch because I, i think you really can make a case that, that this would have been a, a a great fit for him when when he chose Oklahoma City he did not know that um, that Paul George and Carmelo Anthony were going to be there right but and and the thing is is there would have been luxury tax implications if the Wizards had given their their full taxpayer mid level to Patterson so so two things one that's because of of bad decisions that were made last summer but two you know they they could have use the stretch provision on Jason Smith and taking a little pain in, in the out years, but, but it could have actually been cap neutral, you know, uh, would it have been perfect because Patterson ended up having to have a, a scope on his knee and, and hasn't taken the court yet? No, there would have been some angst over that. Absolutely. But, you know, supposedly he's, he's, he's going to be ready soon. And he's, He's not a great player, but but he's a pretty good one, and he's an upgrade over what they have and what they got. And he's a guy who could play some small ball five, and he just he he would have been a fit. And it seems relatively clear to me that they didn't even explore those types of scenarios seriously. If if you go out and 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 sign 
guys the level of of Meeks and Scott relatively r- relatively quickly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And <laughs> one thing that I that occurred to me is they they really could have done all of them because Scott is minimum salary player. Meeks is maybe they would have had to skip Meeks or something, but they could have gotten Scott and uh, uh, Patterson. You know, there, there's a there's a ton of options if they were would have been willing to bite the bullet and undo some of the stuff that they did last summer, in meaning 2016. So, you know, and Jason Smith being one of them, you know, and that is that Smith, he was good in the sense that he helped the Wizards, but he was a really overall still way below average player. And if they could have upgraded to a Patrick Patterson, at least in terms of potential, that w- would have made sense for a comparable move salary-wise. Um you know they they're going to be spending in the luxury tax anyway, so I mean why not spend a few more of Ted's dollars? Yeah, well, so the other thing as it as it relates to um, the summer of sixteen is not just the mistakes that were made, but the degree to which those mistakes were made. So um, Zach Lowe's column this week mentioned the Wizards a few times as potential. Um, Suitors should a few star um, centers hit the trade market. Talked about Marcus Gasol, talked about DeAndre Jordan, and then also in the same piece uh, mentioned that the Wizards are going to u- are going to have to use assets to um, to unload a contract mm-hmm. uh, uh, because they're in the luxury tax for the first time, and um, and. Uh, they're going to be looking at some version of the trade they made for Bogdanovich, which was a little bit about getting a short-term upgrade and plenty about um, about erasing the the Andrew Nicholson mistake. Yeah. Um, and and so the the point I'm making is they didn't just sign the wrong guys, but they signed you know in signing Mahinmi for four years. You know, if 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 they had signed him for a, to a two-year, forty million dollar contract, that would have been a disaster in terms of return they got on that investment. But they would be sitting with a twenty million dollar expiring contract that, at worst, would have freed up the money off their books next year, and at best could be um, could be an attractive um, uh, a trade piece. Instead, it's a you know his his contracts a a negative value piece. So if DeAndre Jordan or Marcus all were to hit the market, um, obviously multiple teams are going to be after those guys. And, and so if, if you're going to those teams and saying, Hey, uh, for our, you know, we'll give you Ubre in our first round pick, but you got to take the, you know, the next two years after this one at 32 million of Jan Mahinmi, those teams are going to say, you know what, we'll, We'll take the Greg Monroe contract that expires yeah. this year, or, or 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 someone's contract that expires after next year, and it just it's really going to, in all likelihood, continue to handicap them uh, as they um, as they look to add because they're they may have a window in the Eastern Conference and and they're going to have have a tough time prying it open. Yeah, and this. I mean, not to co- totally relitigate the 2016 offseason, which I think we've pinata quite a bit <laughs> through the we years. We have, but, but, but I do think, but 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 it's imp- the reason we do it is not just because we're blind haters, but because every single day, um, or 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 with every 
decision or non-decision that gets made, it, it, it has these lasting effects. Yeah. You know, there's a ripple effect to all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And then when it comes to Mahinmi, for example, they gave him the $64 million deal. Who are they bidding against? Where was the market for for Mahinmi that they had to give him four years and $64 million to get him? And considering that they already had Gortat on the roster and that you can find backup bigs to you know fill in here and there. What what need were they filling at that time with that contract? It's one that he, I mean at the time we wondered what they were doing, why they were doing it, and we figured that Gortat would be traded, which hasn't happened yet. And if it did happen, I mean maybe that would be okay. Um, maybe Mahinmi could fill in as the starting center and be okay. But again, it's like who were they bidding against? And what what need were they trying to fill when they got that? Because he can't play power forward. He doesn't stretch. He doesn't, you know, there's so much that he really can't do other than taking Gortat off, who had been one of their better players. So, you know, taking Gortat off the floor. It's it's just one of these moves. It's like it, it, they, they had a bunch of money and they said, you know what, we've got to spend it. And so they just locked it up. And one of my theories is that they're, afraid of cap room and so they locked them up because they didn't want to have cap room again because you think that uh, could be like a medical condition like like cap roomophobia or something i'm sure there's a more scientific term for it yeah um but well and and, and again it it illustrates an inability to just misjudge the overall market there was no ability to forecast a year out and and to look at the landscape of of the league and the way teams are playing and say, you know what, there are going to be, there are going to continue to be big men who are available um, for a reasonable price. So, you know, if you read through that Zach Lowe column, there's like six, you know, half decent centers who are mentioned as potentially available for, mm-hmm. for nothing more than salary dumps uh, because teams don't have minutes for them. You know, Dwayne Dedman, who's, better than Mahinmi, signed uh, signed for a lot less money in, in Atlanta this summer. Uh, you know, Nene, after, you know, signs for the minimum last year in Houston, has mm-hmm. a good year, and then re-ups for another three years at, at, at Peanuts. Yeah. Um, the Wizards have, you know, approaching $30 million tied up in the center position for two guys who can't play together and, and at best, are good. And... And um, uh, so that and, and this will... is even before we get to the the stuff with Mahinmi, which is that he's had one good year in his career. All of that said, we've talked about the improved bench. We've talked about the the starting lineup continuity, and so that that leads into the overarching question is. What are the Wizards going to be this year? Are they going to be roughly the same? Or are they going to be significantly better? What does your projection system? And again, this is not just like what you think, but this is this is a this is based on some science, right? <laughs> uh, what, what what are you projecting for the Wizards this year as a team? Well, just I think I already ruined your day, so I can't ruin it again. But no, I think they're going to be okay. But I'm projecting them at about 45 wins, which whoa is on the low side. It's right around, though, in the same range as some of the other stat guys. You know, the 538's got them at 46. Kevin Pelton has them at, uh, I think, 47 and a half. We're really kind of all saying 
the stat guys that they're going to be kind of about the same, but maybe not quite as good. Now, one thing that I'm not factoring in at all is uh, great inflation in the in the East, and that is that the East has been the weaker conference for a while. Um, there was a stat guy, I can't remember who it was, but estimated a couple of years ago that the, for the top four teams or top five teams in the East, that just being in the East was worth about three wins. So I would imagine that it's going to be about the same this year. So maybe the Wizards end up with 48 wins instead of 45 just based on that. So, you know, I think they're going to be kind of about the same as they were last year. Uh, maybe just not quite as good. All right. So if the Wizards win 45 games, mm-hmm. I think that people who care about the team will be extremely disappointed because I I, I think the goal, the, uh, the the stated goal is 50 in the regular season and, and the conference finals in the postseason, I, it's too early to, to project that. Even though I think you know there there's a shot, even if it's unlikely. But I think 45 wins would be a, a big disappointment. 48, you know, figuring in that that Eastern Conference inflation that you know the extra wins will make us feel good, even though in truly in the aggregate they they wouldn't be any better of a team. They'd just play worse competition. Mm-hmm. But um, so here's something I want to understand is. They've got a lot of young play. They've upgraded the bench. They've got a lot of of young players who stand to improve. So, what is driving them potentially getting a little worse? What are areas um, where you're forecasting or players that that you're forecasting um, a drop off in production from? Yeah. So, okay. The uh, just to repeat what I said some time ago. We're not sure how we're going to chop this up. So, but. The way I do the projection is I go take each player, I run them through my statistical doppelganger machine, which basically looks for players in the NBA record who are similar, you know, similar production at a similar age. And so what we're looking at is a variety of factors. You know, it's not just like total overall production, but it's looking at how they produce those numbers too, including like three-point attempts, how they rebound, how they, you know, assists, all that kind of stuff. It all gets rolled into there. And like, for example, we talked about John Wall and whether or not he would be able to get into that like 200 plus PPA level of his top 10, you know, most similar, you know, players through the doppelganger machine, seven of the 10 declined in the following year. So I have Wall projected as a slight decline, you know, still being a very productive player, probably not. If at the level that I'm projecting, he would probably not be all NBA again, but he'd be close. You know, he'd be in the conversation. You know, with Beal and Porter, players like them tended to sort of stay about the same. You know, similar age, similar production, that kind of thing. And then you get guys like Morris, um, probably about the same, but most of the guys who are similar also declined a little bit. You've got Gortat, who's getting older. Most of the players like him declined, which you would expect. Um, you know, Ubre. Players like Ubre tended to improve, but not a ton. And when you say like Ubre, do you mean extremely handsome ones? Yeah, with the great hair. That's the yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah like a uh, no. But the, and then something else that was interesting with Ubre is that there were a fair number of players in his, you know, in his comps who whose careers were over in the year after or two years after. So, I mean, the young players like Ubre, 
they they some of them improved, but some of them were just out of the league. And I think a lot of them, if I were to go back and really like dig into it, my guess is a lot of those guys were like second round picks. And Ubre will not be out of the league because he was a first round pick and because he's athletic and he's got long arms and because he looks good. You know, all that helps. It absolutely helps. I mean, I I remember you and I talking about Nick Young the year after he was drafted and and me saying that I, I hope that that the Wizards trade him because sort of the, the the book wasn't out on him yet. He you know, he had a pretty looking jumper and his dunks mm-hmm. looked good and he was the right size and, and everything is sort of the right physical profile and so uh, you could you could he had curve appeal and, and yeah. And someone could say, "Yeah, I'll take that guy and, and make him into what he could be." Mm-hmm. I I have a fear that we're we're experiencing that uh, again with Ubre, and that he's just um, he's never going to put it all together. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, um, but, I mean, but uh, remember, last year he was basically replacement level. This year, I'm projecting him a little better than that. But last year. You know, while he he was definitely the lucky shirt when Markeith Morris or Otto Porter was off the floor, he was still replacement level. The the Wizards lineup was good not because of him, but because of the other guys who were on the floor. Do you identify with him because you know you're you share a podcast with me and <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so all right. Uh, one other guy, as you mentioned Gortat. Mm-hmm. A lot of conversation about about his decline. Have you looked at all at, at um, specifically at his defense? Yeah, I mean, a lot of his decline in production, of course, overall, was related to his offensive touches. But it's also clear from the data that his defense was way down last year. And that's uh, something to be concerned about. Just to put some numbers with it in the defense part of PPA in 2015-16 he was 13th among centers so above average defensively among centers last season he was 31st among centers that's the defense part of PPA and then if you look at some of the other stats so you look at the on off in 2015-16 the wizards were a point per 100 possessions better defensively when he's on which is not huge um last season they were uh Point and a half, 1.6 points per 100 possessions worse on defense when he was out there on the floor. And um, his blocks and steals were both down. Um, his blocks fell from, in 2015-16, from 2.1 per 100 team possessions to 1.3 last season. So that's a pretty big drop-off for a center. And then if you look at other factors like his defensive field goal possession, uh, defensive field goal percentage at rim, basically how does he do protecting the rim, Preceding three seasons, so that's 13-14, 14-15, 15-16, um, all with the Wizards, his defensive field goal percentage was about 52-53%, somewhere in there, at rim. Last season, it was 60%, which was still actually you know, reduced opponent shooting percentage very slightly, but we're talking about going, instead of you know, reducing it 7 to 8%, we're talking about like 1%. So in other words, he, he his defense definitely dropped off last season. Well, and you know we always talk about you can't not take the whole player, and so the question is, can uh, can can the Wizards be as good on offense 
with Mahimi on the floor, um, they probably can't be as good, but can they be uh, good enough that the that an uptick in defensive production actually matters? Uh, you know, this is something definitely to keep an eye on because uh, Gortat was an anchor of good defensive teams under Randy Whitman. You know, the Wizards were ninth, tenth of uh, the the last. Uh, or, or the first two years Gortat was here, they were about average. They were, I guess, 14th two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last year they were 20th. Yeah. So, so, so their offense jumped to seventh in the league last year, but, but their, their defense fell to 20th and it's sort of, you know, maybe their offense gets a little better. Maybe it doesn't, but it's clear that the, the real opportunity um, for them to improve is at the defensive end and the concern is is that they might not have the personnel to to actually do it. Yeah, and that's that's a real concern. Although a lot of defense is about the scheme, so and he he wasn't the team overall was not helped particularly by um, you know Morris and his fouling and Beal was not a very good defender last season and Wall was decent you know per, fairly disruptive at times although he his attention wandered and uh, it was pretty clear that the Wizards were more of an offensive focused team last year. Gortat though it really needs to do do better defensively especially in the at rim stuff. He's got to rotate quicker. He's he's just got to do a better job. He's got to get back to where he was the pre- previous 3 seasons and I think the team can be at least acceptable defensively. Well, so so here's my spin on that. You know, at his age Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going to get more athletic. He's not going to get quicker. And I, I think there is a significant onus on Walbier Porter, the, the young, highly paid stars, mm-hmm. to, um, to, to protect um, their rim protector a little bit and, and to keep him from, uh, from compromising positions so many times in games. So... Uh, Wall cannot afford to play defense half the time. He can't afford to gamble for steals, but go to sleep when the ball's on the weak side. Mm-hmm. Um, Beal can't afford to just play play great defense in the playoffs. Um, they they really must tighten up on the perimeter because um, Gortat's good, but at 34, you know, 33, 34, however old he is, um, he's not going to just erase for their mistakes. Um, the way maybe he was able to a few years ago, the way uh, uh, DeAndre Jordan or a, right. or a space taker like Marcus Sol can. Mm-hmm. And so if they're going to get better, they've, um, they've got to be better on the defensive end. And so maybe, you know, maybe the way you spin that hope is they know what they are and they know how to be good on offense and they don't have to spend a lot of time figuring that out anymore. Um, and, and now there there's room to to learn and grow on the defensive end. Yeah, that's the hope. That is the hope. Well, it's basketball season. The, the Wizards the Wizards season is starting this week, so uh, before long, we are going to have, we're going to have actual games to talk about. Um, but I, I, I think, I, I think, look, there, there's reason to believe that the Wizards are going to have another decent season. I think it's, it's pretty, 
somewhere between hopeful and pie in the sky to say they're going to be a great team, but um, we've been wrong before, and I hope to be be wrong again. Yeah, me too. Um, just as a reminder for folks, you know, for what three years in a row, I was exactly right on with my projection. You know, missed by like a game or two. Last season, I predicted I think forty one wins, and they of course won forty nine. So. Let's hope that I'm more. It's more like last year, and so I predict 45, and they go out and win 53. That would be nice. Yeah. All right. So we are going to wrap up this this mega off season review, season preview, um, and uh, thank you to everyone out on uh, on Twitter who asked if and when the podcast was coming back. We very much appreciate it. It's good to be back. We're gonna uh, keep going regularly as our lives and, and time provides the opportunity. Um, if you if you like what you're hearing, or frankly, if you don't, just subscribe anyway because it makes us feel good. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on, on iTunes and SoundCloud and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if your podcast service doesn't allow you to subscribe, tell us and we'll fix it. Kevin is on Twitter. He is at broom underscore Kevin. Um, you can find his Wizards-related work on Bullets Forever. And you can also check out KevinBroom.com um, for Kevin's non-Wizards writing, um, because Kevin's a good writer. Um, yeah, of which, though, there's been very little. So <laughs> you can check in, but there's not much there right now. Well, so Kevin's an empty nester now, so he has no excuse. He's got, uh, you, you should, you know, you should be spending every waking hour um, churning out content for, uh, for the masses, because uh, the world definitely needs distractions right now. That's good. Um, good point. I'm on Twitter. I am at underscore Ben Becker. And uh, thanks again. Until next time, this is Becker and Brew.